This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Tomahome. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. And we're talking about Ancillary Justice, a October 2013 novel. Uh, one, uh, what, what kind of words? Nebula, uh, might win the Hugo, maybe? Is it on for the Hugo? I don't know. I think it, it won the Hugo. No. Did it win the Hugo? Okay. I think that was this weekend or something. I don't know. Oh. It was some, sometime around now. Um, and who, who's, whose idea was it to read this book? Is it you, Julie? Well, yes, because Brian was speaking highly of it, and I said, hey, let's talk about it, but I hadn't read it, and so I was really glad I really liked it a lot. I understand that wasn't a universal reaction, but (laughs) I think that when I look at the reviews, you're either going to love it or hate it. Mm. Uh, Apparently, there's a short story set in the same universe uh, Hmm. from 2012 Hmm. called Night's Slow Poison. I might like that a lot better. I think uh, my problem with it is mostly that it's it's so long, um, and I I I like short books. Even uh, I, I do read long books. I just it seems so long. Um, Tam, you were saying there's something wrong with the audiobook. I, well, I, didn't know well, I guess the narrator chooses to read it like a robot, which is kind of like the main character. Maybe that's not huh. so fun to listen to. I mean, I originally I... read it too, and I liked reading it. On paper, yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't finish the audiobook. Hmm. Yeah, I listened for about five minutes to the audio and said, I understand this person was a spaceship. However, they're now a person. <laughs> so let's get with the program. I, I didn't find the narrator to be terrible. Um, I did listen to the the audiobook. I didn't do the ebook or the uh, paper book, but um, I, I found the writing to be terrible. Pretty much, <gasps> it, it's so long, <gasps> and so, I mean, what there's. What you said? I know. So what, what? 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 I think the way I was sold on this book was it was about a genderless society, a genderless person, or a person. Or being a creature, <laughs> something that had a difficulty uh, with the, with the pronouns for a neuter or genderless society, and I always find that interesting. And there was some talk about how how you come up with a vocab for this, um, and I'm always interested in vocab. I found that that was a very, 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 very minor part of this novel. Um, so what, what's the appeal, Brian? You're, you're the guy ultimately responsible for us reading this. Oh, good. I knew I would get blamed. Um, <laughs> your fault. I'm accredited. Yes. Thank you, Julie. I liked quite a few things about it. One was uh, I was interested in the uh, gender language aspect. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just language. I mean, primarily through language, but it was also uh, a little bit about politics and biology. So that was one piece. Uh, a second was uh, I was intrigued on how she was able to pull off a space opera setting. Uh, in my review, I noted that we've got AIs, teleportation against Dyson spheres, interplanetary invasions, threatening aliens, uh, and it's all really lightly done. I mean, space opera yeah. often has a, a, either a lyrical tendency or an info dump tendency. And here, she just kind of summed that all up. It was there, moved on. And um, so I was intrigued by that. It, it reminded me... I said this earlier today uh, on a different podcast. It reminded me a bit of Asimov um, and the way he uh, doesn't spend paragraphs describing 
how Starship works or how a Dyson Sphere works. He just yeah. puts it there. I can see that. Um, yeah, I can totally see it. I was thinking of Foundation, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, very talky. I, I also liked, uh, and this is very talky, um, I like the way that we had a, a genre of fusion for the first two-thirds, which was the uh, murder mystery. That's what's presented mm-hmm. to us from the first mm-hmm. chapter with space opera, and I was intrigued by that. Uh, I was also interested in the multi-body perspective that worked um, not so much from the uh, Radshai ruler, but from the uh, backstory uh, of yeah. I am doing this, I am doing that, I'm also over here, I am doing this. And that, mm-hmm. I thought that was really nicely uh, touched on, even to um, levels of horror. Um, I think another thing that I did like about this was that the uh, we had this problem of trying to see uh, something like an AI or robot becoming a human and I I was impressed at how lightly done that was it it wasn't foregrounded and heavy handed which is what I think of data in in the original um, next generation Um, it wasn't cliched Um, it was it was very cleverly done Um, so I mean those are uh, several of her issues on top of this it was a first novel that bang appeared out of nowhere (laughs) Uh, which really, really amazes me. My my biggest criticism of the book is the last third, and for me that I, that's yeah. either because it's it's based in setting up a sequel, or it could just be your first novel, you know, problem. So those are those are a few of the virtues. I I, I see those virtues. I think they're there. It's just it's so uh, like when you're saying lightly done. I think that that that's my problem. Is is that. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I was thinking about the historical sort of analogy that this book is working with. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's interesting. And, uh, I, and some of those things are paying off. Like, you know, this is the, essentially the Roman Empire in space and ciliaries are uh, not what I thought they were when I started reading the books. I think they're auxiliaries, you know, auxiliary armies, except they're more controlled. And this is about a, keeping a empire together. Um, and the resentment that is caused by that, but it's it's hard to get to that stuff because of I think the way it it seems unmasterfully told. But I think when you put that historical gloss over it as how you're looking at it, you're distancing yourself from just the story because I have to say, as a very uneducated person and all that, I just read it as a story. And by the time I realized that, you know, with the sentence, I was a troop carrier and I went, what? Wait, I I don't think I understood that. And I read it three times. I never read a sentence three times. And that second chapter to me was so masterful that by the end of that chapter, when all of her ancillaries are singing, I started singing here and here and here and here and here. I was just like blown away at the imagination. And so as I went, just taking it in, not worrying about the gender thing, because I had read in some review, which, and, and I was, I'll be interested to hear what Brian says, where somebody said, because this person was a spaceship, she just doesn't get it. So everyone to her is she. And I went, huh, good. Oh, I'll understand it that way without worrying about it. And as I read it, I was just so entranced by the whole story, both the backstory and the current adventure type story, that what it made me think of and you're free to laugh because I, like I said, I, but it made me think of Dune. I haven't been that sucked into an alien culture that I had to really 
think about and bent my mind in ways I hadn't expected in a really long time. And so I was really impressed that I was being told a story with a book I just couldn't put down. I was picking it up every, oh, I've got five minutes. What else is happening? It's a so. world-building book. Uh, it, 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 you know, that background for the story that it's set in is incredibly detailed. And, Brian, you're saying it's lightly, lightly uh, you know, used, and I think that that's right. But, I mean, to me, I was like, so I get to the point in the plot where I figure out what, what's actually, you know, motivating our character. If She doesn't know exactly what's motivating her, I guess, either. But at, at some point in the plot, it just comes down to, I'm going to get a gun and shoot somebody. And it's like, well, okay. But that's, that's not making use of... See, right. The cool thing about Dune is that, that that background for the first Dune novel is kind of like the background for The Lord of the Rings. It's so rich and deep, and the plot comes out of that. And I, I wanted that to be happening in here, but I just I, I thought it was much too personal a sort of a revenge sort of story uh, for that. Like I, I was really disappointed when I'm like, okay, that's what it's about is about getting a gun and, and shooting somebody. Well, I was, I was, that's part of my disappointment of the ending was that I thought, um, as you say, that it, it seemed uh, weirdly prosaic, and especially since she gets a gun, she starts shooting, blasting away at, at the Radscheid Lords. And it doesn't, it doesn't work because he's got a zillion bodies. I'm like, hmm, that doesn't sound right. Um, but to go to go back um, to what Julie was saying, um, I was really blown away by the first chapter and the second chapter as well. That it it seemed it it didn't it didn't seduce me in. It wasn't comfortable and easy to get into. Like if you think about the first page of Lord of the Rings, it does this amazing job of bridging the reader of The Hobbit into this adult story instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing like that. It drops you right in. There are all these awkward, beautiful sentences. It reminded me of 1970s new wave science fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was really stunned by that. And I, I, I had to keep backing up and rereading paragraphs to make sure, all right, did I get that? Was that there? <laughs> and I thought that was, that was a, that's a bold way to begin a novel, especially in a very competitive science fiction marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really liked that. Um, now, I just want to come back to the, the, the lightness of this. Again, I don't mean in a, in a comic sense. I mean, she spends relatively few words setting up this universe. And most of the words are actually dialogue uh, between the different people as they are plotting against each other, doing horrible things to each other. And that's, um, I rarely, I mean, I'm a huge Ian Banks fan. I absolutely love the guy. But one of the, not a bug, but a feature is that he has these info dumps that go on for pages and because mm-hmm. he's Ian Banks he can do that right and 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 they really and they really work or you think about someone like Samuel Delaney who will have these gorgeous gorgeous lyrical paragraphs you know showing you spaceships flashing through the night as absolutely splendid and instead here we just have these very precise little chip chip move on and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a sign that's 2014 and that we've gone through the big yeah. second, we've gone through the big space opera renaissance, and we can accept all that. Yeah, and uh, the, the the phrase that kept coming to mind while reading this was, "This is this is mimetic fiction in a science, or I guess space opera universe, right? It it's like 
okay, uh, we've got all these really cool ideas, um, none of which are, you know, 100% new on their own, but they're, they feel fresh here, the ideas themselves. But then to have them not be the, the, the essential motivator behind, you know, the central MacGuffin behind which it's all happening, it feels like it's set in a much larger universe than any other story told in this universe would be, like you say, a lot less prosaic. Um, because to me, it seems so arbitrary when we're, we're on a planet and somebody shows up, we don't know why that guy's there, she doesn't know why that guy's there, she doesn't know why she's helping him. And then she goes and has some tea and likes children, and then she kills somebody. And she's not sure why she killed that guy, but it's like, okay, so this is felt like, maybe I'm missing something, but it felt like she was a puppet the whole way through. Well, to me, though, that behavior, and I, again, I was just reading Entranced for, until the last fourth of the book, I would say, but um, I felt like a lot of those things were because she didn't understand, she really didn't understand because she was in a situation she'd never really been in, you know, and she was was kind of becoming more human. Mm -hmm. And so she'd never experienced all that stuff. So she was kind of going along half the time imitating people while trying to keep her, her central tenant going of, I'm going to, I don't know what to do, but here's what I do know. Someone's going to hurt. And to me, that was really human, but she didn't understand it. And so I kind of didn't, it didn't bother me. I I see why you're saying that, but we just did do Android stream of electric sheep. And in that we, we see the motive, we see the actions of the androids and we have to infer why they're doing the things that they're doing. We have all sorts of guesses, but we have no firm ground here. We're seeing it from the robots point of view. Robots, maybe not the right word. We're seeing it from the ancillary's point of view. And yet, we still don't know. We're seeing it from that point, like, uh, like the point. Uh, there was a point in the novel where uh, this is not that far in, where we're walking on a planet. They somebody falls or jumps from a right. high place, and she just reacts. And of course, this is a, a very costly action. But trying to explain why that action was a little more human. Like I'm unsatisfied with the explanation there, just as unsatisfied as the explanation as to why she she reacted so badly when somebody says something rude and she you know kicks their head off or whatever it is. Um, In in Blade Runner, apparently uh, when they're filming Blade Runner, uh, the Rutger Hauer asked, um, "What? Why does why does um, Roy Batty save Rick Deckard?" right at the last second, when he's mm. hanging on to the edge of that roof and, you know, he reaches and grabs him just as he's falling, right? Um, and we can come up with all sorts of cool, elaborate explanations that I, I really like thinking about those explanations. But apparently what what uh, the director said was that, well, he's a robot and he just reacts. And I thought, that is the most unsatisfactory explanation. I mean, it is an explanation and it is yeah, it, it explains it, but it totally is unsatisfactory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't feel like I got any sort of explanation for uh, it, other than what you're, you know, uh, what I would call an apologetic here, like that. Well, I, I thought I don't about that. I'm going to put all over this book, so you guys should talk for a That's, while. Sam, you like this book, right? 
Well, I, I have the same feelings as Brian. I, I like the first um, two-thirds or so. So by the time she, she actually gets to shooting the uh, leader, I, I wasn't really enjoying that part. But I, I really enjoyed the beginning, how the world was introduced, and how she uh, was an AI and had multiple bodies and all that. I really like that part. So you weren't bothered by the saving Savarden or however you say that name when she leaps off the bridge or the things that um, Jeff was talking about, the lack of, you know, internal motivation. Like you should always know the reason for everything you're doing. Cause I don't think we do. No, we don't, but, but they seem completely arbitrary. So she's interested in tea and songs, loves songs, loves children, but the slightest provocation kicks somebody's head off and, well, and, like, I'm supposed to sympathize with this character. I know I am, because I'm seeing her from future and past. Well, when I started reading this book, my son walked by me. He was 15 then. And he was reading, uh, he's deeply immersed in studying Latin. And he said, oh, the book's about slave girls. <laughs> and I oh. did a double take, and I remembered, oh, hmm. right. That is the etymology. That is the Ancillary? Yeah. Really? Slave women. Slave women, which is why uh, it has to be that rather than say adjunct or adjunct or anything else. Yes, yeah. and, and so it, 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 it was, uh, thank you, Owen. You, you helped me remember my basic training <laughs> literature to actually do etymologies. And, and, and uh, it seems that one way of looking at the story is uh, it's an old story of uh, a slave evolving out of slavery. Uh, you can think of, say, Toni Morrison's great and terrible novel um, Beloved which is profoundly about that um, and in many ways this is what Breck is I mean her name if you think of the if, if you think of the word as sounding as break this is someone who is broken not just shattered from the collective but also uh, broken out of the experience of being a slave and and that's a very difficult process to go through uh, so when when she a lot of her reactions seem to be that kind of uh, adjustment of working through that process uh, so rescuing Savard, Savardin, um, to me, I, 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 that's how I, I chalked it up to that um, as, as part of her response or her programming is to, you know, to save people in there. And Savardin was a, at that point, don't we realize that um, he was uh, from a major family? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's not just some nobody. Um, and so I, I thought that that made sense. And a lot of a lot of the reactions are going to be that working out from that situation. Hmm. Yeah, I, well, I, I think that that's a really nice catch because an auxiliary is, you know, that in, I was thinking about this also in the context of slavery. It's, it's kind of the story of Spartacus as well. Spartacus is, is yes. originally an auxiliary in the army of, of uh, the Romans in fighting in Thrace or wherever um, in one version of the story and then is turned into a a slave gladiator, and then leads a rebellion against the uh, the Romans, and ultimately is defeated. Um, so there there is there is stuff that I guess maybe it's the maybe it's just so I want it to be shorter. I want it to be a lot shorter. And the jumping backwards in time, I didn't. Then you have to read the print version and skim. I guess, yeah. You can't do that in audio. I know, uh, I know, and I know you have a, a prejudice against printed books versus audio. Uh, so I do, because yeah, I save my my reading of of things that are you know text 
for things that aren't on audio. I know. And so, Jesse, I see that I don't understand your reasons for this, and yet you still do it. You're driving me me crazy. Let me me, me pull back from the shame and humiliation Jesse's about to endure. Um, (laughs) The... And let me and let me try and backtrack on something that um, that I said. Maybe maybe the problem with the, with the ending is that um, the book tries to do something very bold and has a hard time pulling it off. Which is, you know, we're set up to, as you put it, Jesse, um, to have Breck go after the Lord with the gun, and instead we end up with the Lord overpowering. Uh, both Breck and Savardin, and giving them a job and a starship, and doesn't the Lord actually adopt Breck? Mm-hmm. What a what a person. that is that is you know the Roman the yeah. the way they subverted uh, what's his name um, okay. that's the other story Ben Hur right is is we've got a, a a man who's punished and then uh, is saved and then becomes a great leader and then he's supposed to come back and. And, you know, overthrow this and, you know, help Jesus carry that cross up the right. up the hill, right? Maybe that's what the sequel's going to do. Maybe that's why it's so unsatisfactory. Well, the Romans used adoption a lot um, to, to form families where they didn't have the biological basis for it. It's one of the problems the Julio-Claudian dynasty had was lots of adoption and not enough babies. But um, uh, I, I think... You know, I've, I've got to respect the book more than I than I did before for trying to pull that off. Um, I mean, in a sense, I mean, symbolically or etymologically, etymologically, we're looking at the ultimate slave owner turning a slave back into a servant. What a terrifying psychological maneuver! And if it's one that the author doesn't quite pull off, I mm-hmm. I applaud her for the audacity of it. You're thinking it's a lot more noir than it appears on first blush. Yes, yes. I mean, at times the book almost feels like Jane Austen. It has a kind of almost Regency flair with lots of people talking, <laughs> lots of tea. Jane Austen by way of Mickey Spillane. I, 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 I felt the, the, those kicks to people's heads and such as being like totally out of step with the, with the you know, the tea and, oh, Mr. Mr. Uh, whatever your name is, I, the guy I, riding the horse in these very dark and brooding. I, I didn't, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because I was obsessed with the Empire, um, and it's horrible, horrible um, sure. rule. In fact, I think technically this is a dystopian novel, that yes. you know, the Empire remains. It doesn't fall at the end, and it's a, it's a pretty horrible regime. It has its own ideology. It has its own religion. It has its own practical explanations for itself, but it's, I mean, it's busy in... God, you know, genociding whole planets and then recruiting their mm-hmm. dead to serve as zombie droids. I mean, it's a it's a terrible regime. And so for that, I, I was expecting a certain amount of violence. Uh, I, well, it, it is it is actually. I mean, it, I don't want to lord it over Julie here, but this is a textbook Roman, you know, colonization. Right? They go into a, an area. If you don't submit, if you don't uh, become a citizen, right? You are not just decimated, you are right. wiped out. And that's, they, they always come up with an excuse to, to go to war with you, but in the end, um, you either become a part of the, you know, the Borg Collective, uh, <laughs> or you are, uh, you know, in chains. Well, and actually, I hadn't really thought about it in that term, because I was busy being horrified by the fact they did it, but I'm actually just now reading my way through, I just finished Joshua, and I'm reading Judges, 
and mm. in the Old Testament. And of course, that's the thing that all those cultures did back then is we're going in and we're putting the ban on you. And what that means is, and your little dog too, everything yep. killed because otherwise you're going to corrupt us. And um, talking about go ahead. Yeah, we were just talking about that in the previous podcast. About <laughs> sorry, Andrew's dream of electric sheep. It's it's it. That, I mean, the surprising thing is, is we're recording them on the same day, and <laughs> oh, they're yeah. kind of about the same thing, but they're completely different sort of approaches to the same sort of issue of, you know, how to treat people and what are people exactly, and and all that stuff. Well, that's what makes. Despite your whether you like or don't like how this person told the story, that's to me, I guess, what makes this a good book. Is it Samuel um, and the Amalekites? No, Saul and the Amalekites, where he doesn't totally wipe them. He has one survivor, and uh, and the uh, he shouldn't have done that, says the prophet. Uh, when he saves, no, he saves like the the oxen and the horses or so he saves a bunch of stuff for himself Saul does right. I think if I'm right. thinking of the right thing he's like oh I know God said to do it but I'm pretty sure I, he'll like what I'm going to do with this and Samuel's like no he would like you to do what he told you by the way you're done it's the beginning of the end for you buddy yep time for uh, David mm-hmm yep can't have David without Jesse though <laughs> That's right. Quite true. Quite true. <laughs> little little uh, illusion there. So, um, is this also, a, is this a, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Mine was going to be a minor point. I was going to say, even though I didn't like what the plot did at the end of the book, as it just kind of drifts off, um, I did actually really like watching. Uh, Breck have to worry about the station catching her and what life was like in one of their civilizations, because that's which is not, you know, an outpost town, which is where we start out with the the little shrines. I thought that was all very interesting and the way they co-opt different elements of different cultures, but it's all theirs, you know, and I realize that's, you know, it's Chinese, it's Roman, it's, you know, most cultures will do that. But I loved seeing, you know, the station force them off in the end because station was kind of petulant about everything. You better leave. I'm going to make life really uncomfortable for you. So I, I liked seeing those different AIs as their own personalities. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys what you thought about the religious stuff in the book. I kind of loved it. I didn't know what to make of it. Um uh, it seemed due to me, but yeah. Well, uh, it seemed kind of like the that you know the Romans. Uh, you can worship everybody uh, you want, but you know we've got the analogs for them. But uh, make sure you also worship the the emperor, sort of thing. But uh, it, it seems. I mean, it seems out of place. Also, I I know it's sort of the the typical thing to say about science fiction is in the future we won't need religion. But here here you've got a galaxy spanning. Uh, you know, a galaxy-spanning civilization, and yet it does seem sort of like the you know the god of the river and the god of this mountain and the god of uh, you know this aspect of personalities. It seemed. I'm not saying that there can't be religion in the future. We we just did do Android's dream of electric sheep, <laughs> and I think Mercerism is an amazingly interesting and fascinating religion as portrayed in the, in the book, and it makes 
a lot of sense given the context of that universe. I just don't... Uh, it seems like an analog of just the ancient Romans up in space, which, you know, you don't get in Foundation, right? I don't think As- Asimov has God uh, gods or anything in, in Foundation. There's lots of, you know, worshipping at the, at the table of books or whatever it is, but there's not a... Um, no, the Foundation is about the fall of the Roman Empire. It's about Gibbon, and it, right. it, it tracks and that really carefully. It, it does, but there, the religious aspect of the book is is about, you know, having faith in, in which system you're going to adopt, rather than, like, literally, these are very sort of old-fashioned kind of gods, like pre-Judaic pre, pre, uh, gods, almost. Hmm. But I... In that way to me, anyways. I just liked that, to me, it just underlined their humanity, because I think... Not and I really someday I'm really gonna read Do Androids Dream of Electronic Sheep or whatever it's called. Huh? <laughs> you should, it's excellent. I know, I know. I'm just afraid of being depressed. And that's Philip K. That's Dick how long, for right? me. Well did you were you depressed by Galactic Pot Healer? Well I think no, that, I wasn't. I think that that's slightly more depressing than than really? this. I yeah, it. but it's also it's also um it's got an uplifting ending, and I think that that's also true of Andrew. Oh, okay. I think his most depressing book is um, the anti-drug book. Um, oh yes, that is yeah, it's an amazing book, but it's a it's a terrifying terrifying conclusion, and a very and it personally Dick makes it personal. There's a postscript which makes it even sadder. Um, I'd recommend just diving into his short stories because they're brilliant. Um, yeah, but they're so different from his books to me. I don't I think that's true. I mean, stories. We're, we're talking about some of the short stories in in connection, and they are very. I mean, it's the same themes. It's just you know, like he he tackles. Uh, he was very interested in Jesus um, as a man, as part of a religion. He joined many different versions mm-hmm. of Christianity in his time, and he was thinking about that during during this writing process uh, in the sixties and. 70s, he was yeah. very much going into the that end of it. But the short stories are much, much like simpler versions of what yeah. he's working. I mean, all the all the the keywords are almost show up like his keywords, autofacts and um, uh, all all those those keywords that you see in those early stories are all in these later books as well. You like the shorts, you you will like to Android stream. Well, and I think I guess maybe. Because, see, the thing, of course, that wasn't Philip K. Dick's first book, and I don't know what his first book was, but to compare it to this is probably, I don't know if I would call it unfair, but when it's somebody's first book. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, um, yeah. But the um, fact yeah. that she, to me, the thing, reason Philip K. Dick was really interested in that is because we all think about that stuff. Even if we've decided it, like to be atheists or agnostic or whatever it is that we've gotten to in our search for truth, we all think about it. That's why we've decided whatever it is that, that seems to make the most sense or tell us the truth the most, right? So that's part of the natural human condition is to wonder and think and look for truth. And so obviously Philip K. Dick was doing that. That's reflected in his characters because that's something he would consider important in the future. Not having read the book, just generalization. I don't I, I don't I I never think that he was writing about the future. I think he was always writing about his view of reality well, of the Okay. Day. So it just that way that it's right. futuristic. So that's his view of 
here we are right now, right? Yeah. But I think this for is, her... Is, is set in the future. I know, right? but just let me finish. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, but I'm just like... Oh, no. But I would say that if it's part of the natural human state, and if, as you guys posit, she's really taken a lot of Roman history and culture, whether it was consciously or not, and a book like this, I guess you would have to say it's conscious because I think she was too smart in the way it was written to not know some of that anyway, that um, that's part of that culture. And yeah, at times in the Roman culture, because I'm now reading a book about starting a book about um, Catholic church history, it was kind of lifeless. There wasn't a lot into it, and which is what you're saying, Jesse. But I think that impulse is always there. And so to have this and show it in the future, however it's interpreted, I thought made it more complete. It made well, the people I more people. Would agree. I think you would agree with me that there is such a thing as spiritual progress in the sense that, uh, at least religious progress, in the sense that, you know, older versions of religions prior to uh, the Jews and the Christians, uh, they seem somehow like more naive um, in that, you know, like Odin is his aspects and his story, you know, the stories of the Greeks and the, and it, it, it seems like quaint. And how can the people believe that? Well, the reason they believe that is they, they live in a certain area and they don't have a, a vast view of their own history like we have of theirs. Right. And, and so, you know, I can see, like, some people think that there's not going to be a religion you know, in 200 years, oh, people will grow out of religion. I don't think that that's likely to happen. But I do think that there there is such a thing as a kind of a progress where, you know, even within from the Old Testament to the New Testament to even some crazy thing like Scientology, it's like it adapts to the society. Whereas here it feels so mapped, mapped on. Well, it, it, you know, Clark's law, the the one law where everybody knows the, uh, any significant advanced technology will be indistinguishable from magic. Um, if it if it was the case that everybody didn't know how all their technology worked, it might be possible for you to think there's a god in your car, right? But I just don't buy it. It depends I, on the I, car. <laughs> Maybe the god is the car. It depends on the god too. I mean, yeah, the AI. I could see um, Loki in my car, definitely. You know, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I could worship the GPS. Don't tell anyone I said that. But um, <laughs> well, it's an eye in the sky, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well, I think there. It makes me think of two different things. One is that there are a lot of religions now, right now, that are repackaged old religions, but nobody realizes it. Sure. A lot of New Age belief and that sort of thing. And well, so... Some of those are wholly constructed out of, uh, you know, a fake old religion. Completely agreed, still. but they don't. a lot of people don't realize that, and therefore, what would make this different? And then the second thing is what J.R.R. Tolkien said that um, to C.S. Lewis, which was... All these various faiths have different splinters of light, which he would, which would be truth. Therefore, if what you see in, you know, this various, like this New Age religion or this religion they've got here, there's some splinter of, of light that's speaking to this society in the way it is. So since I didn't mind this society the way you did, and I didn't mind all these things, this religion, however they understood it, fascinated me in that these people, a lot of them cared about it. Arwen, is that her name? Um, or 
uh, on, Lieutenant on, you know, she didn't miss a beat on, you know, it's time to go, you know, meditate or whatever it is they did. So um, it worked for me. That's all I'm saying. I I don't really feel like you necessarily evolve everything the same. And this culture, who knows where it came from? We don't know. So So you said something earlier and I, and I wanted to make sure I didn't lose it. You said that you felt this was, it didn't remind you of Roman religion. It reminded you, did you say Hindu? Yeah. Yeah. I was curious, can you say more about that? Well, because of, and then I thought, well, maybe it was Babylonian. That goddess was, Ash, what was her name? Ashur, um, whatever the goddess's name was that they worshipped. Darn it. The names are, are, are pretty Indian, too. I mean, made uh, me think, and, and the way they would bring the flowers and um, uh-huh. just something about it made me think of one of the basic Hindu goddesses. Mm. And I'm sorry, I can't think of why. I, I thought yeah. I, I thought Chai was just made me think of chai tea. <laughs> it's very Indian. <laughs> Oh crud! Nice. Uh, tea, tea is one of the larger um, vocabulary words that are on the word cloud. That means it, it is used a lot. Yep. Has in, has anybody read that thing that? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember any names. But I've been going back through Joe Walton's old book reviews. Mm. So she hasn't been writing any new ones for Tor dot com because I may not always agree with her, but I just love reading her reviews. Me too. And. Yeah, okay. She wrote one, I don't know if you saw it, called Why Do They Have This Problem With Coffee in Science Fiction? They're mm. like, they always call it claw or, you yeah. know, but it's clearly coffee. Yeah, yeah. Goes, every time. Yeah, and she goes, but everyone's got tea. It's just called tea. No one changes it. They just drink tea. It doesn't matter what alien race you are, they're having tea sometimes. <laughs> it might have to do with the word. Like, the word... T is, you know, it's only three letters long. Mm-hmm. It, it's basically a sound. And one person's T is actually not T, right? Whereas the analog for, you know, the coffee stimulant or whatever it is that somebody, you know, eat, what, what I find so interesting, I always bring it back to Philip K. Dick. Um, <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> even in, you know, a post-apocalyptic wasteland, where, you know, there's no food being grown or anything. Everybody still has coffee, right? That's why he isn't writing about the future. It's not just a, a tr- like Eric would say, a transformed language so that we get the idea that there are aliens, but they're actually just drinking coffee. Here, they're, they do drink coffee because when Philip K. Dick is writing his book, his research amounts to him thinking about stuff, reading the newspaper, reading a science, science journal, and then going and having some coffee and writing. Um, Tea, though, could be like, you know, just any herbal kind of tea. It doesn't have to be, you know, black tea or red tea or or even chai tea. There's also a ritual going along with it, usually, and tea is that sort of a beverage instead of coffee. I found that goddess's name is Amat, A-M-A-A-T, if that's how you say it. And I don't know, there's something that just made me connect that. I guess I should have looked it up, but that sounds like an old name. Yeah, that's not how I was reading it. I was just reading it ravenously. All right, because it was so great. Let me me jump in um, Mm -hmm. because I I had 
two totally different approaches to this book than you guys did, and I'm really relishing everything you're saying. I mean, the um, one is the tea made me think that, and other things about this book made me think that the empire in mind was Japanese, um, mm. the hugely important Japanese um, tea ceremony, and mm. also the aesthetic of um, a kind of muted aesthetic, uh, an aesthetic of simplicity, control, and of ritual. Mm. Um, and then specifically for the empire, the short-lived Japanese empire, which had uh, incredibly ferocious uh, attitudes towards authority and obedience. Sure. And, and the other. Know, yep. You're definitely. not human if you're not Japanese in the old school, for sure. You have, you have no honor. I mean, you're, you, know, you can be mistreated you know, in a way. And so when your Lord of the Raj is just blowing away people left and right, I, I mean, this this all fit into it for me. That that was one thing. The other thing is the, I'm not thinking of Buddhism, but of uh, of the older Shinto religion, which is mm. often nature based, mm-hmm. often right. animate. Mm-hmm. God of the river, the god of the mountain, the god of the valley. Yeah. So I, I mean, that was one one resonance I had. I don't know how far that goes, but it, I uh, love that. That's a good one. That's a good insight. The other yeah. is. I was thinking English. The English Empire is also driven by tea. I mean, <laughs> it's not. I, I, I get the sense that it's not the same kind of tea, though. I don't remember a lot of uh, cream and sugar being added to that tea. Well, they did some horrible things with that. That's part of where the opium wars come from. Was uh, that's true? But actually, if you want, do you know the BBC series called Horrible Histories? I've heard of it. I've not seen no. it. I strongly recommend this. It's all on YouTube now. It was aimed at getting. British kids excited about history. So they're all musicals, and they're all really funny and disgusting. Um, and they have, like, like sub, they have themes, like uh, horrible deaths, um, and they're all about history in really entertaining ways. There's one of Queen Victoria talking to her butler and how she wants English things, and none of the things are actually English. Right. Uh-huh. I want some English china, please. Uh, yes. For my English tea. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> With my English breakfast. Oh, wait. The English breakfast actually is British, but <laughs> I, I, I strongly recommend that just for just for fun. They're all they're all short. They're all like five or six minutes long, little bits. But um, but the other thing was uh, I wasn't thinking in terms of um, the secular future that uh, Jesse mentioned that that many people have predicted that you know that religion will go mm-hmm. down. Secular future. I, I was thinking of Frank Herbert because I'm I'm on this kick now. I'm reading and rereading a lot of Herbert that isn't Dune, mm-hmm. um, just because it's it's just awesome. And uh, he you know, he has this very different view because he's a, he's one who thinks that the future will have religions of all kinds. Um, right. But he also so merged together, right? In in Dune. Yep. Uh, how, what what other books are you thinking of besides the Dune series? Well, right now, let's see on my stack here. I've got Godmakers. I've got um, Santa Rosa Barrier and uh, the Hive. What's it called? Hellstrom's Hive. Hellstrom's Hive. Yeah. And what's Oops. interesting? I'm sorry. The, these are uh, Hellstrom's Hive, uh, which is um, the Santa Rosa Barrier and uh, the Godmakers. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I actually. Godmakers is a fix-up book, which I wasn't aware of, and I'd read all the stories, which are really good, and the, the fix-up is nicely done. But one of the things that he emphasizes, and I don't know if he's the first major SF writer to do this, is religious engineering of polities <laughs> deliberately creating, nurturing, and taking advantage of religions. So you know, this, hap- <laughs> this happens in Dune, right, where, where the, they're, on, they're on Dune, and things go wrong, and so uh, Paul and his mother are like, oh, okay, which planet are we on? What's the Messiah complex? You know, we've put these Messiah's mm-hmm. everywhere. We've planted these seeds. <laughs> right. And, 
and so that, that's what I was thinking of reading reading Ancillary Justice was that it was it was clearly it was, means of control. Yeah, an, a, a very carefully calibrated uh, engineered religion, and also that doesn't mean that people don't believe it sincerely. Um, it's not a cynical thing. It's not a it's not a Marxist analysis either. Um, you know, these these two things coincide of of having sincere belief and it also being you know a political science exercise. Yeah, and so obviously the religion here, the Ratchet religion, is obviously designed to serve the purpose of the of the mm. empire. Um, but it also works. People meditate, mm. and it it seems to have, insofar as you can say anything is sincere religious belief, which is a whole other problem. Um, they seem to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean, the sacrifices you gave to the emperor in the ancient Roman Empire, they they work too. You know, like it, the the it all it all. You know, a lot of it is just letting time pass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get you know, you do the right thing, you make the sacrifices, and if you you know you're not rewarded in the way you hoped, uh, there's either something else, or um, so when when the Romans did you know conquer their new lands, they always either made you know these are analogs for our gods, or um, you can have your gods, that's fine, but just add ours to your canon. And and that's when you know when they do meet the Christians and the Christians and the Jews don't like the you know to adopt that just add a few more or analog sort of thing. It's uh, that's where the conflicts really arise. Um, uh, if this is going to be a series, maybe that will be dealt with. I, I actually quite like the will world building. My problem was not with the world building at all. It was I, I think it was you know a very well put together world that what we see of it. But uh, it was more with the length. Um, I mean, it, it, this is more Dune length than than uh, than um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep length, right? So it is longer than I I normally I, I don't Dune is a long book. How, is this similarly long? Is it four hundred? No. no, no, this is much shorter. This t- five uh, five hundred pages, I think. I'll just say I don't care if there's a sequel. I probably won't read it, but. Believe it or not, I, I don't tend to read sequels. I was I didn't ready like for the yeah. I was ready for the shots to ring out and people to fall down dead, and I was done. So. Uh, Four hundred twelve pages, Dune. Okay, this is this is four hundred seventy nine oh. is what my copy is. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same length. But Dune's a better book, much better, mind you. It's a class. Uh, some it says on the cover, uh, the classic of science. <laughs> fiction or something like that. Oh, well, if we're um, going to go by I the cover, okay. To, I would certainly classify it uh, as close to that. I think Herbert originally wrote Dune and Dune Messiah as one book. And I, yeah. And if, uh, but see, Dune Messiah is not as good. It's got good stuff in it, but... Well, I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to pin this down and figure out the textual history, because I, Dune Messiah feels um, much short. I mean, it is shorter, but it also feels... Uh, Gap. I think we have a Dune show in our in our future. Oh, I'd I'd be there with my oh. with my um spices, Maybe, uh, with my spices and November. <laughs> spice is in your spiced coffee. That's right. That's right. The spice must flow. <laughs> the, the coffee must flow. Maybe that's the analog, right? I th- I, I think the they do. Paper has awoken. <laughs> I love it, Tom. Julie, I just wanted to say I, I agree with you about uh, Joe Walton's reviews. I was reading them, and I'm the same way. If if um, if I disagree with her take on a book, I still enjoy watching her thinking about it. Mm-hmm. 
She's like uh, the Roger Ebert of book re- science fiction book reviews, I feel. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're published in book form now. Oh, yeah. I read that, and that's what got me started on looking at the old ones because I was kind of mad at the book because there were so many of two different book series that I didn't care about. I was like, did you need to take this up with, you know, eight different reviews of her, this series? No. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.